0: Well, it's, it's good to be back. I've, uh, I've missed doing this and I've missed you guys. So We're going to pick up where we left off. It seems like forever ago, but we ended with Luke chapter 23, the end of that chapter. And so this morning... It's going to feel a little bit like Easter morning because we're right there. We're, we're in Luke chapter 24, the very first section of that. And we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus. And the thing that I want you to understand as we, as we walk through this passage is that uh, the resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It is the one thing that, uh, that we've got to be confident of and hold firmly to it's the resurrection you know all four of the gospels Matthew Mark Luke John they are literally designed to point us to that singular event and to point us to the reality of this foundational event as you read the gospels everything builds towards that moment And in fact, every truth that's declared, every claim that is made is either validated or it is made null and void by the reality of what happened that first Sunday morning after the crucifixion of Jesus. The the resurrection is the linchpin of the gospel message. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There he says that if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation, he's talking about the proclamation of the gospel, the gospel message is in vain. It doesn't mean anything. It's worthless without the resurrection. And so is, he says, our faith. In other words, if the resurrection of Jesus is not real, if it is not reality, then neither is our salvation our entire faith rests upon the resurrection of Jesus. In the end, I mean, the actual end, the resurrection is gonna be the only thing that you will care about. It's gonna be the only thing that will truly matter in your life. Uh, Listen and and think about what what John writes in 1 John chapter two. He talks about just this life that we live and the fact that it's all going to pass away. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's possessions, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lusts is passing away. And what John says is this, all this stuff, that, that, that can woo us into giving our attention and our energy and our hearts to it in this life, that's all going to be gone. That's, that, it's all going to cease. On that day when we stand before God, at, when this world and all of its passions and desires have, have melted away, when we are left with the reality of our sin that has been made even more evident in the bright light of God's holiness, when all of our excuses and justifications have have faded away to nothing, when this life is over and this world has passed, in that moment, as we stand before God, nothing will matter more than the resurrection. And here's why. It's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15. He goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. Uh, Following the teachings of Jesus won't matter if Jesus did not rise from death. He puts it this way in Romans 4.25, putting it positively rather than negatively. He says, Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses. He went to the cross to pay for our sin and he was raised for our justification. But what Paul is saying here is that the resurrection is a proof that the death of Jesus on the cross was accepted by God as payment for our sin so that when that day comes and we stand before God, we will find ourselves raised to eternal life, not to judgment. The resurrection, it matters more than anything. It's vital. It's key. And yet, sometimes, and I think more and more these days, it seems like the church just doesn't get that. Some, some parts of the church are viewing the resurrection as a, a theological relic. Even Jesus' disciples had a hard time with it at first. That's what we're going to see in our passage this morning. Do this. Grab your Bible. Open up to Luke chapter 24. I want you to follow along with me. And will you do this? Will you stand as I read God's word? And um, I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible. Again, it's in Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. Luke writes... On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, it suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. And so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day? And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven. And to all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. And they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Let's pray. Father, ah, I ask that this morning that you would truly impact our, uh, our understanding, our minds and our hearts, Lord, with reality with the facts, with the evidence that points us to the resurrection. God, that we would see it so clearly, that we would understand it so definitively to be reality, that we would be changed by it. God, that we would be unable to hold it in. God, we would go out from here declaring Reality, truth, the facts that Jesus is indeed risen and that that changes everything. Work that in us, Lord. Work that in us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Well, it's been quite a while since our last study in Luke 23, and so. Uh, I want to briefly remind you of uh, the context of this passage, a context I think you're probably pretty familiar with uh, regardless. Understand this, uh, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, the women, uh, they have all been with Jesus uh, for well over three years now. They've been listening to him teach day in, day out asking him questions, uh, watching him heal, uh, giving everything up so that they could travel with him, be with him, be around him day in and day out. They have committed themselves to him and to his heavenly kingdom. But then, late one night, Jesus is taken from them. In the middle of the night, well, while Jesus is praying, a crowd comes and Jesus is arrested. And for the next few days, everything begins to unravel at such a frenetic pace uh, that his disciples find themselves unable even to comprehend, uh, let alone respond to setback after setback. The crowd comes. They take Jesus. He's arrested by the authorities. He, he's falsely accused. He's tried. And then he's condemned. He's beaten, abused, flogged. And then he was crucified. And then, unthinkably, he was dead. Eventually, These followers of Jesus found themselves together again, but now without him. They were numb, I'm sure, in shock, unable to think. Time passes, day turns into night and night back into day. Friday slips away, Saturday too. Sunday comes, but I bet they didn't even realize it. I I wonder if they were even aware of what day it was. See, when Jesus died, they lost everything. He wasn't just their friend. He wasn't just their leader. He was so much more. They not only called him Master and Lord, they believed that he was God in human flesh, that he was God come to save them, that he was Messiah. Then he was dead. And then, early that Sunday morning, the women burst into the room, chaotic with excitement and emotion. Look at verse 10. They tell the disciples uh, what they've just experienced. They tell them that they came to the tomb, that the stone had been rolled away, and that his grave was empty, that Jesus' body was not there. And then they tell them that they'd seen an angel. Actually, they'd seen two. And the one of the angels told them that Jesus was alive, that he is risen from the dead. What I find to be so interesting is how the disciples respond. It's not what I would have expected. Look at verse 11. It's such a blunt and and harsh statement, really. Luke records, but these words seemed like nonsense. Nonsense, really. They seemed like nonsense to them. Not only did they not believe the women, they thought that it was so crazy that they didn't even need to bother to investigate what it is that the women were saying. It was so ridiculous, so unbelievable that it wasn't even worth considering. Maybe the disciples were just so overwhelmed with grief and fear and with confusion that they just could not think. I don't know how else to understand that they didn't comprehend, that they didn't remember what Jesus had said about the fact that he would die and that he would rise again on the third day, on that very day. He told them over and over again, Matthew and Mark and Luke all record at least three times. And John adds a couple more times in different settings. Jesus had told his followers repeatedly, listen, this is what's going to happen. This is what will take place. I will be rejected. I will be abused. I will be killed. But then, on the third day, I'll rise again. And yet, When the women come bearing this uh, amazing news that Jesus has done exactly what it was that he said he would do, the disciples more or less blow them off. They call it nonsense, foolishness, something that was not even worth looking into. Isn't that exactly how some people respond when you talk to them about the resurrection? Come on, that, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. When they're told about it, it's as if they decide that they don't want to believe it without ever really considering it, they just casually reject it. They don't look at the evidence. They don't think it through. It's as if they think that the statement, those sorts of things don't happen, is actually evidence. Now, that's just a statement of belief. That's not evidence. Because if it did happen, then it does happen. They just simply choose to reject it. Almost as bad are those of us who casually accept the resurrection, we will declare that we do believe it, but because we haven't thought it through, we live as if it's uh, just another theological or historical myth. Uh, some sort of a parable, something that, that we acknowledge as true in a sense, but it, it isn't reality that then radically affects the way that we live. Some reject the resurrection without investigating the facts. Others accept the resurrection, but without letting the reality of it change them. But not Peter. Uh, Peter does well here, doesn't he? I I love it. He goes, he doesn't just go to see. Look, he got up and he ran to the tomb to look for himself. Peter, we'll say this about him, he is all in. No matter whether it's in a good direction or a bad direction, he is all in. And so he doesn't just get up and go for a stroll to the tomb. He gets up and he runs. And I don't even think that initially Peter believed the women. But he decided to test his disbelief against the facts. And when he examined the facts, when he looked at reality, reality changed his mind. I don't know what moved him initially to get up and to go and John with him. We know from the Gospel of John that the disciple John also went with him. We don't know what got them up and moving while the others stayed behind. But I know what the end result of it was. that Peter and John walked away believing as verse 12 says they went away amazed at what had happened. Oh, they didn't fully comprehend it yet. but they knew that the God was working. What about us? What about us? Have you casually rejected the resurrection? You know, there are many within the, the, the physical church these days that have actually rejected the resurrection of Jesus. And maybe it's time to examine the facts. Have you considered the reliability of the New Testament? Do you understand that the vast number of ancient copies that we have of the text uh, show us very clearly that what we read today is exactly what was written originally? Unquestionably so. Have you read the eyewitness testimony Do you realize that that's what it is? Uh, What we read here in Luke and and what is written in the book of Acts by Luke as well, uh, they are carefully collated accounts put together by Luke based upon interviews he made with the eyewitnesses themselves. What we read in Matthew and Mark and John and the rest of the New Testament, that is all written by those who experience these things themselves. Uh, These aren't stories that were written long after the fact? Have you looked at any of the corroborating historical records? You know, don't you, that there are secular historical documents that speak of Jesus, of his teaching, his miracles, even that, that speak of his, his followers' claim of his resurrection? Have you tested scripture archaeologically or historically? Have you considered the Bible's absolute accuracy in in regard to what happened and when it happened and where it happened? You know, over the centuries, cynics have made accusations of error against the Bible again and again. And you know what? Over the centuries, the Bible has again and again and again been proven to be right. Cynics used to talk about how Pontius Pilate, oh, he was just a fictitious character as someone made up by the Christians. Uh, that was until the Pilate stone was uh, discovered there in Caesarea Maritima. Those of us going to Israel, uh, just in, in 10 days, in two weeks, we'll be looking Uh, at Caesarea Maritima we'll be looking at the place where they found this stone not long after that there in the Israeli Museum we'll see the Pilate stone that refers to Pontius Pilate the governor of Judea (laughs) not long long ago uh, Pilate's signet ring was found uh, there in the Herodium Fortress we'll see that too we'll go there as well Cynics used to criticize the Old Testament and say that King David was nothing more than uh, just a Jewish myth. That was until the House of David inscription was found there in Tel Dan. We'll go to Tel Dan. We'll see the House of David inscription. There is no end to the historical and archaeological evidence for the veracity of Scripture. Let me ask you again, have you really closely examined the evidence? If you have, you'll know this, the facts point to the reality of the resurrection. Look to it, examine it. And Christian, know that you have this arsenal of evidence to your benefit. Oh, just look at the the impact that the evidence had on those women that morning. Uh, Verse 10 tells us it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, who came to the tomb. Uh, Back in chapter 23, remember uh, that we read that those very same women, they had been there at the cross. They had watched Jesus die. And Mark 15:40 mentions them as well there at the cross. There were also women watching from a distance among them, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James. Back in chapter 23, again, Luke told us that those same women not only watched as Jesus died, they also watched as Simon and Nicodemus uh, took Jesus' body down from the cross and hurriedly placed it in the tomb. Again, Matthew 27 corroborates this information, telling us that Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in the new tomb which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance to the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. These women knew for a fact that Jesus was dead. They were eyewitnesses. They saw him die. They saw where he was buried. They were there when it all happened. And so it is no surprise when we read in verse 1 that when they came to the tomb that morning, they came not looking for a risen Savior. They came prepared and expecting to anoint a corpse with spices. They fully believed that Jesus was dead. It was the facts that they encountered, not their expectation or hopefulness that changed their mind. It was in verse 2 when they found that the massive stone had been rolled away. It was in verse 3 when they saw that Jesus' body was no longer there. It was in verses 4 through 6 while they were still perplexed, while they were still confused, Confused about what was going on. They didn't just assume the resurrection. It had to be declared to them. The angels arrived and they declared to these women what they were incapable of, of concluding on their own, what they were incapable of believing on their own that Jesus was alive. I love what the, what the angels asked them, that, that singular sentence, "Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's not in that tomb. He has risen. The resurrection was not birthed from the frantic imaginings of desperate followers. Understand that. Jesus' followers were resigned to his death. The resurrection, the resurrection was declared by angels to stubbornly unbelieving disciples who were then swayed by the facts that they encountered. Now, as a side note, don't, don't be confused by the fact that Luke here refers to these angels as men in Scripture, angels always appear in the form of humanity, but with the shining glory of heaven that Luke notes. And understand this later on in the passage, verse twenty-three. Luke clarifies that he he did note that they were angels. He he refers to them as angels later on. You know, as we as we look at this whole scene that is unfolded before us, do you wonder? why the disciples had such a hard time grasping what was going on. I mean, after all, as the angels reminded them in verse 7, Jesus himself had told them that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. He had told them ahead of time exactly what would take place. And Jesus had raised others back to life. It's not like they could not uh, conceive of someone being resurrected. I mean, remember back in Luke chapter 7, Jesus ruins a perfectly good funeral. And they're marching out to, to bury this young man. And Jesus messes everything up by raising him from the, you know, from the dead and giving him back to his widowed mother. And then in Luke chapter 8, Jesus raised Jairus' little daughter back to life. And of course, just days before these things, as John 11 reminds us, Jesus had raised his friend Lazarus from death after he had been dead for three whole days. It wasn't that the disciples could not imagine someone being resurrected from the death. I think it was this. They had been there. They had seen the brutality and the finality of the crucifixion. They saw him die. They saw his undeniably dead corpse taken from the cross and placed in the tomb. The one thing that they knew for certain is that Jesus was dead. And so it took the declaration of angels to get them to consider the facts, to get them to remember the promises of Jesus and the prophecies of the Old Testament, to sort through the ramifications of the reality of the empty tomb. You know, I think we need to do that ourselves. Many in our day need to be challenged to move past their assumptions and to seriously consider the reality, the evidence backing Jesus' claim that he would not only be killed, but that he would then rise again on the third day. We need to look to the evidence of the empty tomb to the evidence of the transformed disciples, to the evidence of the eyewitness accounts of the appearances of the risen Jesus. Many today need to be challenged to face the facts, to look at reality, to think things through, and to give up holding on to opinions that are not backed by reality. Christian, we have evidence. We have an argument that is strong and that is bold. We should use it. You know, we had a group of 25 junior hires here this week from the Tri-Cities. They they were sleeping in in the church. I showed up midweek. The sanctuary smelled like a junior high boy's sock. (laughs) It was horrific. I count it as a miracle of God that you can breathe in here this morning. (laughs) These 25 junior hires were here on a mission trip. They took a mission trip to Raftrum, Idaho. (laughs) They served our community and they went street witnessing. Junior hires junior high boys out trying to talk to people about Jesus. You know, you don't usually say, look at the junior hires and follow their example. In fact, I don't think I've ever said that. (laughs) In fact, it feels rather scary to say it now. Look at those junior Changed by the evidence, impacted by the truth, by the reality of what it is that took place. Stepping out of what's comfortable into the danger zone of sharing the gospel, of challenging people to look at the evidence. Yeah you know, I think the way that we get there is when you and I, ourselves, who maybe, maybe more casually than we would like to admit, have agreed with the resurrection, when we begin to examine the reality, the reality of what happened. Jesus truly did live. He truly was dead and he truly did rise and because that is reality it isn't myth it isn't story it isn't parable it happened and because it happened that should radically impact our lives that should that should change the course that we're on That should shape who we are and how we engage. That should be a truth that we can't help but to have leak out. Maybe it's time for us, like those junior hires, to rise up and to run. Don't dilly-dally, to get there, to examine it, to let it impact us so that we would be shaped by reality. And we live in crazy times, don't we? You look at the news. And I get confused. Am I reading the news or am I back on the Babylon Bee again? Because they're the same. And one is supposed to be a joke, but they both are. And, and except one is very bad joke and poor taste and, and it's terrifying. And you look at the mess that this world is in. What this world needs more than anything else is to come to reality. Amen. First and foremost, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Let it impact you. And then let it leak out of you. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, we We want to be impacted, Lord. God if the things that we've seen this morning, if the if the evidence does not shape us, if it does not impact us. And Lord, we ask that you'd open our eyes to help us to understand what we're missing. Help us to get, to comprehend the importance, the power of the resurrection. And I thank you. I thank you that I am saved by grace. And God, may the reality of your resurrection, the proof that my redemption has been accepted by heaven, God, may that leak out. May I be unable to hold that in. We live in desperate times that need a powerful message, and Lord, you've given us a powerful message. Equip us to go out. Equip us to occupy until that moment that you come for us. And use us. We pray it all in Jesus' name.